this song is like it's like a big sister's talking to you and saying like this is gonna be okay she has the line hell was the journey but it brought me heaven it's a beautiful love song and it's about their lives but it's not so much about their relationship and it's not very lovey-dovey it's actually just about like growth Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today, my sister Felicia Russell and I are continuing and concluding our close reading and conversation about Taylor Swift's album, Folklore. We're picking up where we left off with part one last week, unpacking lyrics and sharing some personal stories and associations around themes like commitment, communication, betrayal, and escape. We also tease out some creative writing tips from techniques we see Taylor Swift using in some of the songs. I hope this conversation inspires you to get in touch with your creativity and maybe even experiment with using storytelling to explore and express your thoughts and emotions and experiences. And as always, please feel free to reach out to me if you want to share thoughts about the episode or if it does inspire you to do some sort of creative project. You can email me at perennialspodcast at gmail.com or message me on Instagram at perennialspodcast. Enjoy. We left off with This Is Me Trying. This Is Me Trying. Yep. There's a lot in This Is Me Trying about struggling with mental health and Mm -hmm. addiction. And we talked about anxiety and things like that and just doing your best. And it doesn't even seem good enough to other people sometimes, Mm -hmm. but you're doing your best. Or yourself. Or yourself, for sure. And then the song Peace is really interesting because it's a song. So I I read in, there was a Rolling Stone article. It was Taylor Swift and Paul McCartney interviewing each other. Right. Mom gave me that issue at Christmas. (laughs) And she, he named that, I think, as like his favorite song on the album oh wow of hers and she said that was actually the most personal one uh to her and in the Lompon studio sessions film she spoke about it you know being about celebrity like she can't Mm -hmm. it's a song of her singing to her partner saying like would it be enough if I could never give you peace everything Mm -hmm. that I can offer is it enough even though you have to deal with photographers with long lenses and yep. probably you know crowds of fans no and like, privacy no privacy all this speculation and like very abnormal circumstances right but what Aaron Dessner who wrote like the music what he spoke about in the film was how he connected with it because of his struggles with depression and how he yep. knows he's not always an easy person to be married to mm-hmm. because he goes through these cycles of depression And I think you told me like you also connected with it kind of in terms of that mental health. Yep. Yeah, for sure. For me, it definitely reads for depression and anxiety because I love the line that says the rain will come if you're standing with me. Mm -hmm. So that line, especially, I feel like uh, stands out. And then I I also just feel like this is kind of like the mirror song to this is me trying. Mm. Um. It's like another, it's like a, it's like the next chapter in that same like story. Yeah. And it's, it's so, uh, we talked about, there's a lot of maturity in this album and I feel like there's so much of it in this song because while there is definitely that theme of asking this person like, oh, would it be enough? Which is really, am I enough? Like, yeah, am I going to be enough for you, even with all the crap that I bring, (laughs) which anyone could feel when they're really committing to someone. It also, to me, reads as a kind of a reflection and meditation on growing up and choosing a committed relationship and a Mm -hmm. long-term partner like she, and also seeing in him a maturity that she wants to learn from and grow with. Right. She talks about you know, not having the courage of her convictions when there's danger Mm -hmm. and also seeing that her partner has a lot of integrity and she's talking shit with her friends, (laughs) you know, none of us is perfect, but she sees in him something that she really admires, which is such an important part of a relationship is to see things in your partner that you admire and to be able to express that to them. Mm -hmm. And then to be able to be vulnerable about 
what your hangups are or the places where you struggle and at the same time to commit to your values. So she says things like, um, I'd swing with you for the fences, sit with you in the trenches. I was just about to say, I love the line sit with you in your trenches because it's kind of like, she's here saying, can you go through these hard times with me? And with that line, it's like, I'll do it for you. Like she's saying, I'll, I'll be there for your hard times and I'll help you get through that. And she says, what is it? Demons to the East. Um, Clowns to the West. Clowns to the West. And I mean, demons can mean a lot of things, but like inner demons, especially. And then she says, um, if your cascade ocean wave blues come or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, I feel like that just matches with the trenches line where it's Mm -hmm. about like him. And she's saying like, you feel ever feel like this. I'll be there. It's really, it's such a beautiful, it's almost like vows. Like, and she talks about Mm -hmm. choosing being family that I chose and your brother is my brother. And there's this deep sense of like loyalty, commitment, not just to, oh, it's so fun. We're in love, but like Mm -hmm. the reality and it for the long haul. Yeah. (laughs) And I also think when it comes to her reflecting on her very specific situation of being so famous and also being so famous for singing about her romances and people always (laughs) trying to detect like who she was with, who she broke up with, who each song is about. And she says in this song, all these people think love's for show, but I would die for you in secret. Mm -hmm. And that always like is really moving to me because she's kind of saying like, my relationship with you is not just about having something to write about or keeping people's attention. And like, I don't care. Nope. Nobody else has to see this. And it's also like, that's what integrity, like people say, integrity is like what you do when no one's watching. Yep. You know, I love you so much that I'm going to be there for you even when, and in ways that no one will ever see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She talks about like our coming of age has come and gone. Mm -hmm. They're settling into a different phase of life. And when she says, give you my wild, give you a child. That's so interesting to me too. Like because it's one thing to say like, oh, I'll be the mother of your children. But the like, you know, that's something that we hear more when people Mm -hmm. are like committing to each other if they want to have kids. But give you my wild, I feel like it's really interesting because it's not always something we connect with like, oh, once you settle down, you're not wild anymore, but we all have wild parts. Mm -hmm. And she wants to like bring that to her partner. Mm -hmm. I'll be there for you, but I have baggage is basically, I think, how you can sum up this song. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny. Literally just two days ago, I had my therapy session and I was just talking about things that I'm struggling with. And so much of it is just like the day-to-day stuff that most people Mm -hmm. don't see, but like your partner or whoever you live with obviously does. And I was like, I said to my therapist, like, I don't even get how Martin like puts up with all this. Like, (laughs) this is so much, like, I just have so much anxiety so many small things are hard for me that I feel like shouldn't be like, what is like, how does he put up with it? And she was like, well, you're very lovable. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. I mean, I don't know. That's but... kind of what peace is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it was interesting too, because in the film, she said when Aaron Dessner sent her the instrument, the instrumentation, she was like, oh, it just sounded like peace to me. But I thought, Mm. how can I make that interesting? Well, what's interesting is like the opposite. Like I could never give you peace. Mm. And I just think that's a fun creative technique or trick when you're creating something is how can I make this interesting or turn it on its head? It's a nice way to avoid falling into cliches a lot. It's just because she she could have just made it you give me peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, our relationship brings peace, whatever. Yeah. And she, like you said, she kind of turned it on its head and went against what, what she first heard mm-hmm. when she heard the music. Like, this is what I, this is the easy way I could go with this, but let's, uh, let's do the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I always like that when I'm writing poetry, like when there's a line mm-hmm. break or a stanza break, or when I'm ending a poem to ask, like, how could I make this go in a totally different direction than you think it's going to go from what's, you know, at mm-hmm. what I just said, or, or just, yeah, just like, Hmm, how do you make this interesting? And it can, and it's still true. It's not like you're forcing it, but 
when you challenge yourself to make it interesting or to, to like look at something from a different angle or attack it from a different angle, I think it ends up being much more memorable. Yeah. Speaking of the opposite of peace, epiphany. <laughs> That's what epiphany is. The assault and epiphany is all about the opposite of peace. It's interesting, just really quick, like the title. You, again, you think epiphany, you think like reaching knowledge and reaching, having in a, in a way like peace mm-hmm. and coming the ultimate, you know, the crux of something. And that's the opposite of what this song is. So again, the title is like a play on what it actually is. So the first part of Epiphany, she was inspired by learning about some of her grandfather's experiences during World War II, during mm-hmm. like a really, really horrific battle. And it was something that he never spoke about. And that's a lot yep. throughout the song. There are some things we just can't speak about. Yep. And then it becomes about the pandemic and the experience of like healthcare yeah. workers during the pandemic, like just working these insane shifts, having 20 minutes to sleep and then going back and witnessing just this horrific illness and loss and um, the devastation of it. And so, like you said, it's like, there's no answers. There's no understanding. Mm-hmm. There's no rhyme and reason. There is um, no epiphany. <laughs> there is no epiphany. But I think it's interesting too how she connected those two things because again that's something where you hear World War II and then uh, you know nursing and stuff you don't immediately like in 2020 I that wouldn't immediately come to me but right. the way it's connected works so well and like it makes sense like how it's uh I love the lines how it goes from she says sir I think he's bleeding out and then when she when it moves to the hospital you know portion it's sir I think she's crashing out Mm -hmm. and I think it's just interesting how it mirrors like a fellow soldier trying to take care of a wounded soldier which is basically Mm -hmm. what COVID is like those essential care workers are soldiers who are battling this Um, and I just think that mirroring is so so great I think the melody is so haunting Cause again, it sounds pretty, but like, it's also kind of unpleasant. Yeah. Like the actual song itself. And it's kind of, it works really well. And then I also just think it's interesting how it mirrors in the way that like some things you just don't speak about. And like here, uh, it's the 1940s in the beginning, obviously with world war two and she's what she's talking about. And at that point, you know, again, another theme of this album is like mental health is not right. talked about. Like it's obviously a lot of PTSD is involved. And then that PTSD also is involved with COVID Yeah, and not wanting to think about that. Um, and then I, but I also just think there's something kind of sweet about the fact that it's being asleep and dreaming that is comforting. Yeah. Dreaming you know. of some relief. She says. Yeah. Dreaming of some relief. Yeah, I love that line. And something to make sense of it all. Mm -hmm. Dreaming eases the hardship. It's interesting too, because sometimes it's a struggle to figure out what is like okay for you to write about that isn't your direct experience. Mm -hmm. Like she hasn't been to war. She's not a doctor or nurse. (laughs) Um, And sometimes that can be really cringe when people (laughs) write about experiences that they do not have any direct like experience with but sometimes I think people can be grateful when artists put Mm -hmm. some things into words so right because not everyone can write a song so and there are plenty of you know there are plenty of of people who do both actually even oh yeah professionally but I feel like she does it tastefully. I mean, I can't, mm-hmm. I guess I can't really say that because I'm not either myself. I'm not a soldier or a doctor. Or <laughs> I was or, not in world war two. <laughs> yeah. Or a healthcare worker during COVID. I don't know. It feels tasteful to me. Um, well, cause I think to go in hand with what you're saying, especially the line with you, I serve. Yeah. Like we're, it's kind of, <laughs> this is like a high school musical ref- reference. Like we're all in this together. Yeah. That's what it feels like to me. That's what this song feels like. And it is a tricky, I think it just has to be done with so much respect because mm-hmm. we're not all experiencing the same thing. Like 
Right. Some people have been so protected and safe and fine. And other people have been so vulnerable and unsupported and in danger and ill and dying. So it's like, I don't know. I just think she manages to do it in a way that feels respectful because she's singing mostly to people's humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but it's just something that I always find interesting like a question for myself. I I just think it can be done really poorly or it can be done respectfully. And this feels more respectful. Oh yeah, for sure. Is there anything that you've written about that you've ever been like, Hmm, should I not be writing about this? (laughs) Is this not mine Um, to write about? I mean, I, I, not really, but I, I, I do think that in my head, I'm like, okay, you know, cause you always learn, I feel like in school, like right from experience. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what if I just want to tell a story, but I haven't actually experienced it, mm-hmm. but it's something that I want to do. Um, and I feel like you kind of have to play around with it. Like it's kind of a, it's like a, a fine line to walk. Yeah. I just talked to someone who said she was in a poetry group and she wrote a poem about, I think it was similar. She was trying to write about like her grandfather's experience in a war. Mm. And there was a man in the poetry group who was a veteran and he got really upset with her and said like, you have Uh. no right to write about that. And she said she didn't write for another 15 years. Wow. (laughs) He was so upset about what had happened. And so it's just really interesting. I mean, I think there's also differences between like cultural appropriation and right. Um, I think there's like, there has to be some depth of like knowledge about what you're writing about. Even if you didn't directly experience it, you have to know, you have to do research and try to understand as best you can, what you can, and then draw the line about the things that you can't understand. Right. Cause I mean, my favorite genre basically is historical fiction and those people are not writing from experience, Yeah, (laughs) but it helps us to learn from the past and relates to today, I feel like still. So like in instances like that, you know, I just read a book about Paris during World War II. Like that woman was not there for that. And one of the, like one of the characters in is Ernst Hemingway. That woman did not know Ernst Hemingway. But um, right. so yeah, again, I, I, yeah, I feel like it's, it's, uh, it's not black and white. <laughs> yeah. So Epiphany definitely has this kind of world falling apart, things mm-hmm. we can't speak about. And there's a, a different kind of destructive sense and sense <laughs> things of things can't we can't speak, speak about. about in illicit affairs, which yeah. feels like one of the most literary songs to mm. me, like in terms of a story that, I mean, I mean, I don't know Taylor Swift's life. I don't think she's like having an illicit <laughs> affair right now, you know. <laughs> um, but just the writing of it is so there's it's just so like sensory and mm-hmm. um it's so well written. There's so many kind of like devastating lines. Um, and it just feels very like, oh, this is such a good narrative, such a yep. good like character and situation. And it's a very kind of classic. Like throughout time, since people have been writing stories, there have been stories about affairs, yep. right? Like it's, it's very classic, but there are just little, all the little details that she mm-hmm. puts in there. And like you said, sensory stuff. Like I love the line where she says, you'll be flushed when you return. Yeah. Tell your friends you're out for a run. You'll be flushed when you return. Yeah. Because I just think that it's such a visual thing. Yes. Like this song has a lot of visual. Um, yes stuff in it what started Um, in beautiful rooms ends with meetings and parking lots oh my gosh it's so good (laughs) so I feel like this song because like you said there's always been songs novels movies whatever about affairs but this one's kind of like the way it's told is interesting because it could be herself talking to herself Mm -hmm. but it could also be someone talking to another person that is in a situation that they've been in. Right. Um, I think what kind of sums up if there is a lesson, you know, cause mm-hmm. it's not all, but I think the line where she says, tell yourself, you can always stop. 
Yeah. Like it's really hard. This song is not about, it's not, it's not, um, <laughs> what you call it? What's that song? I like it by Enrique Iglesias, where it's like your boyfriend's <laughs> out of town. You're all alone. Let's have some fun. This yeah. is actually like tortured. This is torture. This is torture. Like this is really bad. What is it? A dwindling mercurial high. Oh, I texted my friend and I was like, and the, the award for best use of the word mercurial in 2020 <laughs> goes to Taylor Swift. Affair. <laughs> <laughs> because it's true. Like it's this person who keeps, uh, and the drug that only works the first few hundred times. Yes. Like it's, this whole thing is basically a smoke screen. Like it's mm-hmm. not real. And like, they know it doesn't actually, especially like what the, their, whoever they're cheating with is saying to them. Yeah. in the moment obviously feels like love and feels real and it's not and that's what they're trying to like remind themselves and um each time they're actually they're together it's like again a high and then it ends badly mm-hmm. but they can't but they just keep going back to it and like because of that line you can tell yourself you can always stop it made me think of that quote from a.a a. milne oddly enough that's like you're stronger than you know uh braver than you believe believe. that's kind of what I feel like here like you actually have the power like in labyrinth you have the power all along but it's hard again to do it yourself well it's also kind of a cliche that people are like I can stop anytime I want I'm not addicted and this it's interesting because this is me trying she's writing explicitly about addiction how it's hard to do that and this is like another form of addiction like it's this Mm -hmm. high you know she uses the terminology of a high a drug Mm-hmm. And, you know, you showed me colors I can't see with anyone else. Yep. So it's like, so why would I want to stop when I feel so good? Yeah, it's such a high, but then it's such a low. And mm-hmm. it's just interesting how how many, there are so many different ways that we can get something from something that's not good for us and feel yep. momentary pleasure or relief or whatever, and then pay for it. Yep. It's such a human thing. And then I think, I love the line, don't call me kid, don't call me baby. Yeah. Look at this uh, godforsaken mess mess that that you've made me. me. Uh, He, she, whoever is obviously very demeaning. Mm -hmm. That's what what it feels like in that line. And it's kind of like this person in the song doesn't quite know how to stick up for themselves yet. Yeah. Yeah. It ends with, for you, I would ruin myself a million little Mm -hmm. times. Yep. Which is devastating. Because no person is worth that. (laughs) Exactly. And it's kind of flipped because like if in a different song, that could be like a sweet line in a way like, oh, I would do this for you. Right. A million little times. Like in peace, she's saying, I'll I'll be in the trenches with you. Yep. But But here it's it's very different. Yeah. It's I would ruin myself, which is Mm -hmm. a total different like a self-betrayal and a loss of self and a destruction. It's very destructive. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's interesting too, even in thinking about things like anxiety, like some people talk about it as like, you're kind of addicted to your anxiety, you know, because in a strange way I've found in the past, like, and even now in a strange way, your anxiety feels more familiar. And it's consistent. Your compulsions (laughs) or your reassurance seeking, give you momentary relief. Yeah. But then the cost is that you never quite break free from it and you yep. lose yourself in the compulsions in the reassurance seeking or whatever, whatever short-term coping mechanisms you have for trying to mm-hmm. deal with it. Yeah. yeah. And another sad one. <laughs> <laughs> Another very destructive relationship on folklore. I heard this is the first one she wrote for this album. Interesting, because it's so mm-hmm. dark. My tears ricochet. Yep. I mean, it's so good, but it's so dark. The first time I heard it, I was like, damn. And in the Lompon Studio Sessions film, she talked about it as thinking of like, you know, the superhero movies where mm. the villain used to be this, the hero's best friend. Mm-hmm. And they're, then their relationship turns into like being stabbed in the back by the person yep. or betrayed by the person that knows you so well that they know exactly how to dig the knife in, how to hurt mm-hmm. you. And so the dark setting of this song is like, 
they're at a, a funeral. It's a funeral. And the speaker of the song is dead. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. And her, the, a person that was the speaker's close, close friend and confidant, but somehow betrayed the speaker is there to pay respects. And the speaker's like, wow, Why? you're here now. <laughs> like, yeah. After everything you did to me, she says the line saving face. And it's like, you're not even here for me. It's more about how you want people to view you. Yeah. You know, it's very selfish, but also does this person actually miss her? You know, it's, it's an interesting way to look at it. Like, is it completely selfish or is the person only now going to a funeral because they don't actually have to see that person right. uh, and talk to them? I mean, I'm so used to taking a very biographical lens with Taylor Swift's work because mm-hmm. it has always been so autobiographical. But right. the first time I heard this song, like I, I couldn't help thinking about how, when she, her reputation kind of blew up a couple mm. years ago, and then she put out the album reputation and the first video that she put out, you know, uh, in the song, look what you made me do. Oh, she yeah. like, picks up the phone and she's like, yep. sorry, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Cause she's dead. And you know, they like in the music video, she's a zombie. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of dark, morbid, like the and old she even says, honey, I rose up from the dead. I do it all the time. Yes. And so I couldn't help like when she says, when she says in this song, um, I didn't have it in myself to go with grace. Mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't, I don't know. I couldn't help wondering how much there might be some commentary mm. on the death of her reputation. And I'm sure she must've lost some friends in that whole situation. Like there's no way that, I don't know, over those years that she, she must've seen some friends come and go and she must've seen. Oh, well, I know about one. Carly Kloss. Yes. (laughs) I can't help but wonder. Yeah. Look, this isn't a podcast about Taylor Swift. I mean, yeah, we don't, have to go into the gossipy <laughs> stuff we necessarily we were like are we both thinking the same thing yeah, yeah I just couldn't help I mean have you ever felt it's so interesting when I hear like celebrities talk about betrayal because mm-hmm. for them obviously there's like so much money on the line yep. things are so public that like you could really have someone betray you in a, in the sense that, well but I mean this happens all the time with like families yeah you know when someone dies and inheritance comes up even if it's not a lot like how often do you hear about families where oh like they're not speaking to each other anymore because of what happened after their, their parent died or their mm-hmm. parents died. And all of a sudden all this like money stuff came up and yep. think about knives out. <laughs> yeah. But it's like pretty common, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about that theme of betrayal and like, I don't know, have you ever felt like really betrayed by somebody? I mean, again, I'm only 20, so <laughs> yeah, I know. But even in like, like what, what, when you think about that, like, when would you say you've been like, oh, I felt betrayed. It's such a dramatic word, but I feel like it does, you know, it happens. Well, I'm trying, I think because especially when you're a kid, your mind is so Mm. overdramatic and like, or not necessarily overdramatic, but just dramatic. And I'm trying to think like, there'd just be stuff at school, like the most trivial stuff would feel like betrayal. Yeah. Like, wait you said we were going to play tag today yeah. and now you're going off to play with them. Yeah. But like stuff like that did happen. And there was one time in middle school when um, this girl in my class was having a birthday party that like basically everyone was invited to. And I never got an invitation. Here's the thing. She claims <laughs> or claimed, I should say, and again, like I never after this, I never really had any issues with her. Like, and I wasn't really friends with her, but like everyone was invited. She claimed that she sent it, but I never replied. And like that could have happened. Like, sure enough, an email because apparently she emailed it. Like an email could have gone out and it didn't get to me. But then for that matter, 
wouldn't you just uh, follow up follow up or at school be like hey you yeah. never replied to my thing yeah are you coming so when everyone had gone to that party I actually ended up going to see anything goes at Count Basie with mom because I had friends or I knew people in that show and I was like fine I'm gonna go do what I love most tonight then yeah. and go see a show but like and I did feel betrayed and at that time because I was like well why is everyone going to this party and I'm not like because yeah. if it, it if it was like her closest friends and I didn't get invited I'd be like okay well I'm not even like she's having five people go to this party I don't care but everyone was going and again it's just the fact that it was like oh I didn't get the email oh okay it's like oh you're not gonna like say oh we'll just come like if you can come then I don't know right that's the moment I think of as like a, as a I guess I was like 12 or 13 when that happened. So I was right, right on the cusp of not being a kid, like be- becoming a teenager. So that's like a moment I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think what's interesting with this song is it could very much be, you could look at it metaphorically where it's like, she's not, the speaker is not dead, right. but dead to him or right. dead to whoever. Right. And uh, it could be like, you're still talking about me. You still gossip about me, with, right. like if they have mutual friends, but like, why do you still think about me when I'm supposedly dead right. to you? Yeah. That, that part of like, I didn't have it in myself to go with grace. Cause when I'd fight, you used to tell me I was brave. Mm-hmm. Like you that know? was something you used to like about me. Right. Like, that's what I was thinking. I was kind of thinking of like some of the scrapes Taylor Swift got in was because like, she was like fighting back when she probably should Mm -hmm. have just been quiet and like, let Mm -hmm. it roll off her back. What I think is interesting about that. And I'm obviously like totally reading that into it. It could (laughs) be not that at all, but something I find interesting is like, it's to me, it's like choosing the priorities of what to go to bat for and about. And sometimes like the battles she picked, I thought were poorly chosen and kind of petty (laughs) and immature as opposed to the battles she could have picked. Like why, why tweet back at Nicki Minaj in 2015, who was saying, who was like, Hey, how come I wasn't nominated for best music video when mine was like a sensation, but Taylor Swift was, is it because they're like skinny white girls or whatever she said? And like Taylor Swift kind of snapped back and it's like, meanwhile, why don't you, why don't you Taylor Swift call to task the people with more power? Because as a white woman, an extremely wealthy billionaire white woman with millions of fans, you have so much power. Well, I was going to say, I feel like if that were today, that could have been an opportunity to tweet back and be like, you're right, Nikki. Why was it just me? Yeah. And she, I think at the time her tweet was like, maybe one of the men stole your spot. And Mm. I think something that's interesting about Taylor Swift is like, and I, I really appreciate, you know, we spoke earlier about like a lot of the stuff about women, Mm -hmm. but I don't think she always acknowledges the, it's like the intersectional conversation. She doesn't always acknowledge that. Yes. Yes. She's a woman. She's also an extremely privileged white woman. Yeah. So even like her song, The Man from Lover. I love that song. I love The Man. I love that song. But sometimes when I'm singing alone and she's like running as fast as I can, wondering if I'd get get there quicker if I was a man, how much quicker and how much farther could you go, Taylor Swift? Like you are 30 years <laughs> old. You're a billionaire. You have millions of fans, money, respect, awards, like everything. I'm not saying she doesn't face sexism, but it's like, Sometimes that's where the, that's where I feel like the next level up for Taylor Swift is to acknowledge the intersectional nature of like her privilege and power. And like, I'm sure there's nuances, like maybe there are ways that Taylor Swift is addressing that personally. And it's hard again, like you said, do I tell this story when it's not my experience? It's not her. I don't want this. You can always cut this out. Like it's not her place to tell a person of color right. story, but that's where the public engagement, the public feuding with like Nicki Minaj or exactly. Kanye West or something. It's like, just let, just let it go, let that go <laughs> or direct it differently. Mm-hmm. There's one other thing about my tears ricochet though. All right. What, what I thought of. Okay. Just one more thing about this <laughs> song. There's also a part where she says, when you can't sleep at night, you hear my stolen lullabies. Oh, like 
you know, there's also some thoughts about how much of the song could also be about or be inspired by the whole scooter scott mm. scooter and scott the two guys one of them sold her scooter masters, them bought her masters but the idea of her stolen lullabies i just thought yeah. Was, yeah what she's written yeah it's a good point which brings us to hoax which i can never remember the melody yeah so the song hoax felicia <laughs> and i both of us cannot remember how this song goes when we just see the track name hoax and also maybe because it's like the last track yeah i'm starting to remember it a little bit more like now i can hear how it begins when i see the lyrics yeah (laughs) what was interesting in the film uh taylor swift spoke about how this was actually she wasn't entirely sure like who and or what it was about. Like it was Mm. multiple people, multiple relationships that she was writing about. And she went to Aaron Dessner and was like, is this okay? Like, I'm really used to just knowing exactly what I'm writing Mm -hmm. about. And he was like, go with it. So I also think there's an interesting little creative tip in that, that like, you don't always have Have to to know exactly what you're writing about, or it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be about one thing. Yeah. Just because it's one song or one person or one situation. And one of my favorite parts of this song is how she says, my kingdom come undone. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for us, we grew up Catholic. So mm-hmm. that makes me think of, of course, the Our Father, thy mm-hmm. kingdom come, thy will be done. But then here it's like, my kingdom, my heaven will fall apart. Mm-hmm. And again, her using stuff and then flipping it on its head mm-hmm. here again. And then it also mixes in with, I love the line, you knew the password, so I let you in the door. Yeah. And that kind of, again, relates to, I feel like, my tears ricochet. Yeah. There was, there was some breach of trust. Mm-hmm. Hoax, the title is like, you know, a hoax is not real. Mm-hmm. It's made up. It's an illusion that kind of goes back to the religious tones, I feel like, because maybe mm-hmm. this person's losing faith mm-hmm. and it feels like a hoax to them. Yeah. When I kind of think on my life, when I, if I think about like betrayal or a breach of trust, like I think I'm someone who's not very trusting usually. <laughs> at least with partners. And so like, I'm always on guard and I'm Mm. more distrustful than I actually need to be. Mm. I feel like with friends, I tend not that I don't get hurt by things or upset by things. I tend to over time be able to let things go. And I try to check how much I might be dramatic or you know, like only seeing it from my perspective when there's always more to someone else's story as to like Mm -hmm. why they did or didn't do something. Um, and I probably have erred on the side with friends of sometimes like trying too hard to come back from things that maybe I should have just been like, you know what? We don't need to be friends. Right. (laughs) And this song is kind of the opposite. This is a relationship that she probably should let go and can't. Yeah. Or she did let go, but emotionally they're still. And or emotionally didn't. Right. And I like how you can read into it different ways. Like, are they, is it still happening and they can't put an end to it or has it ended, but is kind of the opposite of the one still dwindling on it. Yeah. Because it says here, she has the line, like, give me a reason. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. I definitely do have some burned bridges (laughs) in my (laughs) past of like, some high school friendships. Um, yeah, like a college friendship. I wouldn't, they weren't massive betrayals, but just enough stuff happened. And, you know, when you're not mature enough, when you, when you don't really have great communication when you're not emotionally equipped, sometimes you just can't come back from it, but it can still hurt for a long time. Yeah. It's, and it's interesting to hear songs that feel yes they could be about a romantic partner but just as easily could be just about a friend or someone who is and that's why I love folklore Mm -hmm. especially because I feel like it's a lot more it's not so obviously like in some other ones 
some other albums. So obviously yeah. about a romantic relationship. Yeah. It's not like that. Because at the end of the day, like friendship is so important in our lives and like for our whole entire lives, you know, like romance might not always be a main priority, but like yeah. friendship. And not for everyone necessarily. And not for everyone. And but not- friendship is, and family and those social relationships is something that, that everyone can. Yeah. And that you uh, really, it, people really suffer when they're in a period of life where they find it difficult to, you know, like when you hear about young parents who feel, who have little kids and who feel really isolated from friends or some, someone who just graduated from school and, you know, like maybe moved, moved somewhere for a job and they don't have friends. Oh yeah. Well, I, I feel that way still kind of, because I've graduated what three years, it's going to be three years ago. And like everyone I know packed up and went somewhere else. And like, And I, I feel like other people feel like that because like they left. It's like, well, everyone, I'm alone yeah. in this new state. Yeah. I stayed home. Like right now, I feel like it's going to be nice when friends of mine come back. But this time, you know, we're like adults and I can see them whenever I want or I could, we can hang out whenever. And we'll actually, I feel like friendships and stuff get closer when you come back. I mean, I have an experience, you have, but I feel like friendships could get closer when we get back from college. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's interesting uh, that I feel like I'm looking forward to when everyone's, I guess, 21, 22, and we'll have, but we'll have this new sense of independence where we can see each other whenever because we'll be home and we're not in school. You know, that's not the only time we have to see each other is in school, in homeroom. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think it's really nice to have some songs that feel like they work for other types of relationships because when we have so many songs specifically and explicitly about romantic relationships, but there's so many other relationships that are so important and they can bring up such deep feelings. Like you can feel heartbroken over a friend. You can feel betrayed by a friend. You can feel overjoyed about your friendship. Like you can have really deep feelings about friendship or I even remember like when Amanda went away to college, um, being really affected by songs about someone leaving and often they were in a romantic, um, a romantic, it was a romantic song about a lover leaving, but like I was dealing with my sister leaving and would connect to those songs. So it's just nice to have more songs that work for different types of relationships. I also really love like, yeah, we don't, there's not as many songs where it can be open to non-romantic relationships, but like, I love the song Lonely Weekend uh, yeah. by Casey Musgraves, which I feel like is very similar because they, uh, she even says the line, if my sister were in town, I know we'd be having fun. And I always think of like you, I mean, also Amanda, but Amanda lives close by, but uh, yeah, that line especially always hits me. And it's just songs like that where I feel like you can hit more people because I feel like that's just as relate relatable as like romantic songs. That line, especially I love. Yeah. I feel the same way. Now, having said all that, the song exile, the duet she does with Justin Vernon, AKA Bonnie Vare, it is very explicitly about the end of a partnership relationship, a romantic relationship for this song for me. I feel like for other ones, like, yeah, there's always, it's interesting because there's always two sides to a story. You get that with the trilogy in here, but with this song, I'm on the female side (laughs) because she says, I don't know, the lyrics point to that. And it's kind of interesting to have a song that's not so, because I feel like when you have duets, usually it's pretty neutral. Like when people are singing, but this one, it's like, they have such opposite they are not on the same page. The communication is not there. Like really poor communication. Cause he even says that line, I couldn't read your mind. But then she says, I gave you a hundred chances. And I love the line where he says, I didn't see any signs. And she says, I gave so many signs. <laughs> and I like, I, he seems to, or the character of course, like seems to be so in his own head and his own world. He's not even aware that she is doing all of this, you know, to get, to try to get through to him. 
I just think that's really, really, I think it's a really a cool approach to writing. Yeah. I think it's interesting because so many people talk about how relationships are all about communication and you hear that so much that it can just become a cliche that almost doesn't mean anything anymore. Cause it's like, Oh yeah, communication. And this song is totally a demonstration of a breakdown in communication or just totally missing each other with him saying, like you said, you didn't give any signs. I couldn't read your mind. And she's like, I gave so many signs. And also he's kind of like accusing her of just like not caring. Like you packed us up in five minutes. I'm left with all this love out in the hall. And, but clearly she does care. Like they're just totally missing each other and not understanding each other. And I think sometimes like your closest relationships, you can just bring so much hope and expectation for yourself and the other person that sometimes you fail to see what's really happening, like what's actually in front of you. You fail to really listen to the other person because you have so many fears or hopes that are so loud in your head that you can both like care. And then at the same time, like completely not hear the other person or hear their, understand their perspective. She cares, obviously, but something that's, again, admirable about this song is she's doing what's best for her. Like she's putting, there's a point where you just have to put yourself first. And I think that's a good lesson from this song is she can, you can try your hardest to make something work. And again, there's two sides to a story, but if he's not putting in the work to see that she's trying and he's accusing her of this, whatever, at some point you just have to do what's best for you. And you can't make the other person, you can't make it work if it's not going to. You can only do so much. I think that's what this song basically is. And there also, it feels like there's the defensiveness to both of them. Um, and the the image of being exiled and the idea of you used to be my hometown and now I'm in exile seeing you out. It's interesting because we're going to talk about this with the lakes <laughs> next, but Taylor Swift uses images in a, in a bunch of songs now on, in some songs on reputation, on folklore, on evermore of like running away with someone, um, and being maybe almost being like exiled together, um, or escaping together. And this one is like the solitary isolation of being exiled from that person well yeah because like the other ones are it's voluntary and exile when you think of exile like it's not you're being Mm -hmm. forced to leave right yeah and the lakes is oh i'm so this is my this is probably my favorite yeah one the lakes is the opposite of being exiled it's (laughs) choosing to escape and escaping with she says Um, not without my muse. So she's escaping with her love to a beautiful place to get away, which I think it's the, for the pandemic, you know, the idea of wanting to be able to escape to the Lake District where the romantic poets went and wrote um, that's just like so beautiful and peaceful is such an enticing it's such an enticing fantasy. And also like there's this whole cottage core thing going on now that she really leans into in this song. But there's also, you know, there's references again to the whole thing with her not owning her masters. Um, so I think also kind of escaping just the personal drama she had going on is written into it as well. What I, okay. First of all, my first note I wrote down and circled with an exclamation point is me in a psalm. Um, <laughs> because I immediately heard this song and first it opens with those, it sounds like old vintagey, tiny like strings. It sounds like jazz you would hear on a radio, on a crackling radio. And it just fits so well because, it, and then it, you know, she opens with the line, is it romantic? Which you think, romantic and then you think of the romantic era the romantic poets and this whole song I feel feels like a big romantic poem uh in a song it's got it's very dramatic and it has big words which I just got a collection of it's basically all romantic poetry I mean there's a few in there from different eras but for the most part it's all the romantics 
And a common theme is like, it's all so over the top. And she says, I, I mean, every lyric in this song is great, but when she says like, take me to the lakes where all the poets went to die. Like in all those poems, there's at least one line in like Byron and Shelley where they're like, I would die for you. If you don't love me, I'm going to keel over and die. And then, <laughs> so I love that. And then I love how it says, she says, those Windermere peaks look like a perfect place to cry. And we were saying this last night, like crying is so therapeutic and there's something so therapeutic at just, at just wanting to run away and just go to this beautiful lake and just cry your eyes out. I actually saw this TikTok where this girl said she went on a hike and just sat down on a bench and cried. And while she was there, some guy walked up and was like, are you crying? And she's like, yeah. And he sat down next to her and started crying too. Um, and then they like exchanged Instagrams and like became friends. She's like, but oh they just sat gosh. together and sobbed. Um, like, that's what I feel like this song is like wanting to just kind of get away. But then in another point for me, first of all, I love you know, romantic poetry. I love draw like theater. It's so overdramatic. And that's what I love about it. But then also for me, it kind of mirrors like what I feel like creativeness and trying to create because like, I don't belong, but and I, I'm leaving, but not without my muse. She says like, I'm just going to do it anyway. I'm going to go and I'm going to create. And that's how I feel like, cause I always second guess when I'm writing or when I'm, even when I'm acting every time I get off the stage in a show, I've told you this, I'm like, yeah, that was crap. Like, why did I get cast in this? I'm so bad. Like, why? What is this? And I feel like you're just always doubting yourself. And that's what the song is. is kind of just letting yourself feel. Um, and you can be so quick to judge yourself and be hard on yourself when you should just let yourself live. And I just love, um, I love the line. Some name dropping sleaze tells me what are my words worth? Oh, She's talked so much about having her masters sold um, and bought by these men. Um, so I think she thinks that Scooter Braun is a name dropping sleaze and she doesn't like him to decide what her words are worth. So there's the play on the romantic poet Wordsworth and, and yeah, and then that situation. And like you said, you can also interpret as just an artist, like what, what is the value of their art? But I think that also there's a lot in this song about disconnecting from the modern world and technology. Um, she says something about, and like, like slowing down and getting away from all the noise. So, you know, we can, I, I think so many people talk about, you know, not there's just the stress of the pandemic and, our political situation are so many social injustices. And then on a day-to-day -day level, there's the, the noise of the world that we live in with constant being constantly plugged into things like email and social media and very disconnected from things like nature and slowing down and resting and having some stillness and quiet to yourself. And there's a, such a beautiful, section in the song where she talks about, she says, I want to watch Wisteria grow right over my bare feet. Cause I haven't moved in years. And I want you right here. A red rose grew up out of ice frozen ground with no one around to tweet it. So, I mean, and, and just the beauty of putting into one song, her creativity, her desire to be connected to nature, to rest, to her emotions and to a person that she loves so much, her muse, her co-creator, um, her co-conspirator, like, you know, on her album Reputation, the song, Call It What You Want, she says, you don't have to save me, but would you run away with me? Like I said, there's these different references in her songs to escaping because as, as much privilege and freedom in many ways as she has, I'm sure that there are times that being a celebrity, being incredibly famous and scrutinized can feel... Uh, confining as well. So in this song, just bringing together all these like really nourishing, beautiful things. And I was going to say also, it's just something about like being able to appreciate the simple things in life. And, and when and that, that section where it's like, I uh, want to uh, watch Wisteria grow right before that, she says, I want auroras and sad prose. And like, that's such a simple 
want, like, and again, in the time of technology and stuff, like I just want to watch auroras and I want to read sad prose. (laughs) And that can be, that's so human. I feel like, and I feel like that. And especially with lockdown, you know, it felt like we were cut off from the world and we were together, like in the beginning of lockdown and we would just go outside in our backyard for some time and just like read and stuff. That's what I feel like this song feels like for me just sitting in the backyard, listening to the birds and reading like books and stuff. And then I also just think there's something, again, I love history and I love the idea of relating to these romantic poets who lived 200 years ago. And yet the singer of the song wants to do the same thing that they did, even though it's 200 years later, they still just want to run away to the lakes and write poetry and cry. (laughs) And I think there's just something so beautiful about that. Yeah. There's something very timeless. And I think the final song that we haven't talked about yet, if you feel ready. Oh, I I'm ready. There's also something very timeless about invisible string. The idea of fate, it has that beautiful instrumentation from Aaron Dessner that Taylor Swift said just made her think of like fate, like the, you know, things, a string, a, a string of fate because of the plucky strings of the instrumentation. And it's interesting because this one, this song is, I mean, very autobiographical and extremely detailed, right? It's very classic Taylor Swift in the lyrics. This song is the arguably the most autobiographical, like an obvious of the tracks. Like this one is the most obviously about Taylor Swift's life. And I think that's really sweet that one of them is because it's the rest of the album is so different and could be up to interpretation that this one is just so on the nose. (laughs) Yeah, the details are so specific about the park in Nashville where she used to read, the yogurt shop where her boyfriend worked when he was a teenager. Her she references her song Bad Blood. She references sending a baby gift to her ex-boyfriend and how full circle that is. And so like the whole song is just kind of tracing you know how eventually she and her boyfriend, her partner ended up together. Um, how there were these parallel storylines going on for 20 something years until they finally met and the beauty of how mysterious life can be that all of these events, even the really painful ones were part of that journey to finding each other. And that also makes this feel like a more kind of mature grown up song of being able to look back again, like in so many of the other songs, being able to look back on younger times, younger years and see, oh, it was all going to be okay. Like, and that's not, I mean, she has plenty of life still ahead of her, but just being able to see that things that were really difficult and painful that she went from having this breakup with someone and like being so upset about this breakup and so mad at him publicly, Joe Jonas, right. To sending his baby a present and being friends again. And now she's with someone else who it seems that she's very happy with. And so, yeah, just being able to look back at her younger self and kind of go like, Oh, like things were working out in this mysterious way that I couldn't have seen, but somehow magically it led me to this and the beauty of that. I remember like one time I was driving with Martin when we had been dating for like a year or two. And I was like, man, I wish that I had known you were coming. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I I was like, I couldn't really explain it in the moment, but when I processed it a little bit, I was like, I would have handled other things better before if I had known that Martin was coming and that he would just accept me so much and love me so well and just be very a very safe person like I was like I would have been a better girlfriend to my ex-boyfriend and I would have handled our breakup better (laughs) with more integrity and more patience and kindness and I would have like grieved that relationship better as opposed to just jumping to someone else really fast may I may I add yeah. That's like the line. I, I didn't have it in me to go with grace. Yes. I, yes. I connect with that line so much because I think that there's a certain level of when you're really anxious 
there's a type of impatience that you can have that you just want everything to be okay now. And you don't trust that things will be okay. And so you try to use these band-aids like in like, yeah, you try to use band-aids to make things feel better now because there isn't trust that things will be okay. You have to give things time. You have to feel your feelings. So like I never had, I just felt like if I had had more trust in life, in fate, in whatever, in myself in other people in, in finding, you know, like a good relationship, I just would have relaxed more even in my previous relationship. I mean, everything's easier in hindsight, but I would have relaxed more in my previous relationship. I wouldn't have been as controlling. And so I just remember saying that to Martin, like, I wish I had known you were coming. And then thinking to myself, well, like if I thought that, so now this is where I'm going to get really mystical and a little spiritual, but if I had a deep down feeling of some sort of spiritual, something more of like, well, what if there's an even greater love than Martin's love? And it's like ultimate love. (laughs) What would I do then? What kind of trust would I have? And how would my life look different? Now that's like a life journey, I think, at least for me to have that sort of like faith, but that's where my mind goes with this song. Yeah. And (laughs) this song is like, it's like a big sister is talking to you and saying like, Mm -hmm. this is going to be okay. It's so, it's got so much maturity in it. And I feel like this song is, is there's so much healing in it. She has the line, hell was the journey, but it brought me heaven. And there's something so beautiful about that at saying like, it's all going to get better. And again, it's so easy to say that to someone, especially like when I, like five years ago, when I was going through the worst anxiety in my life, thinking like, this is never going to end. This is it. And again, like you said, with hindsight, you don't have it, but to go back and say like, hell was the journey, but it brought me heaven. It's a beautiful love song and it's about their lives, but it's not so much about their relationship and it's not very lovey-dovey. It's actually just about like growth which I think is beautiful and the journey to him. I think it's great for fans of hers to see that too. Like, look, healing can happen. Things take time, but things work out for the best. I, and then that's what I feel like this song basically is. And I think it's really, it's really sweet. And it's really, um, it's a good lesson for people, especially since, again, like you said, I'm entering my twenties. I haven't had like a romantic relationship yet, but I find so much comfort in this Psalm when she says like, it gave me the blues and then purple pink skies. It's Um, so beautiful. And I just love too, like I have it written down here. So much color is used in this song. Green was the leaves of the park. Teal was your shirt. Gold was the leaves when I showed you around Centennial Park and I think what's beautiful is like that shows time passes because first everything's green and by the time he gets she brings Joe everything's gold it's like a new season time has passed it's such a just beautiful hopeful song and it's kind of a love song for yourself there's so much trust in the song and it is it is easier in hindsight but to to try to have that trust moving forward in your life that that things will work out, that things will ultimately be okay, that, you know, and it's not to say like life is complicated and it's not to say that every situation works out great for the best or how you want it to, or even like there are tragic things that happen in life, but yeah, there's just some sort of mystical thing going on in this song about how sometimes you arrive at a place where you can look back and be like, wow, hell was the journey, but it brought me heaven. And ultimately the whole thing is about an invisible string tying them together, like going back to destiny and fate. It's like, well, I didn't see. And she says, were there clues I didn't see? And it's like, it's, it, isn't it? And I love the line. Isn't it just so pretty to think that there was an invisible string, like all along we were meant to be together, but at the right time. And it's funny because I think there's also like in the way that she has written songs about the particular relationship that she's in, the maturity of the relationship, the commitment, the clear seeing, the communication, the realness of it. She's used that color gold in reference to this relationship before in other songs, like on Lover and things like that. 
Um, I think she even says in the song daylight off of lover, I used to think love was burning red, but now I know it's golden. Is that something some, like is that? that. The line? And that mirrors red. Yeah. She love had an album. Red. She had an album read all about this breakup, a much more tumultuous, like treacherous. She calls it treacherous. The, the slope of the relationship, very fiery and, you know, passionate, but ultimately tumultuous. And this love is golden. There is uh, peace despite, despite the fact that life isn't always peaceful, but within the relationship, there's peace, there's commitment, there's choice, there's um, acceptance and all of those things. And at the same time, it's still beautiful and golden, you know? So I just think that's really beautiful. And I think that goes back to growing up because mm-hmm. red, she wrote when she was what, 22, uh, 21, 22. And this is 10 years later, right? This is 10 years later. And it just shows you reach a point in your life where you just feel stable and it's like, okay, my relationship doesn't have to be so chaotic and what I, like, I, it's kind of like, I feel like about settling down in a way, like, okay, this love is, it's golden. It's stable. It's, uh, calm, (laughs) a lot calmer. And I think it's really, that's something really pretty. What I think is so interesting, like the fact that she actually collaborated with her partner on this one, the fact that she writes things about running away together, him being her muse, um, giving him her wild. It's like the thing, creativity makes you feel alive and creativity can give you so much excitement and passion without the fallout that like an unhealthy relationship can make you feel alive or feel passionate, but it's not real and it can become destructive or at the very least it doesn't last. Um, but your creativity or relationship to the art that you want to create, or just like what makes you feel alive in this world beyond putting it on another person or turning another person into your escape. I feel like the difference of saying, Hey, do you want to escape with me? Or do you want to create with me? Do you want to, to tap into that type of aliveness together? Like you said, is a real growing up step. So, I mean, I think that's it. (sighs) Did we do it? I think we did it. Well, thanks for going into the forest with me. You know, whenever you say it, I'll, I'll come whenever, whatever you, whatever you, you say the less I know. Oh, that's Willow. That's Evermore. No, but um, not without my muse. Yeah, I was just gonna say, let's go to the lakes. Let's go to the lakes. Yes, anytime. We'll do it again. We'll do it. Listen, I'll be vaccinated fully. Yes. Uh, in two days, and then I'm ready. We'll do a full, a full, a full listen to folklore. I can't wait. <laughs> and sorry, Martin, you'll have to hear it too. I genuinely can't wait. I'm really excited. love you love you thank you so much for listening to the perennials podcast if you enjoyed the episode please share it with a friend subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or leave a review on apple podcasts it really helps other people find the show you can follow along on instagram at perennials podcast or send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com i'd love to hear from you the song you're hearing now is i orbit a moon by paul finn I'm going to open my pumple moose really quick. Oh, yeah.